This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Hello, friend. I'm Jeff Gibbard, and this is my podcast, Shareable. I decided to call it Shareable because the conversations I have with my guests are so good, you got to tell someone about it. Shareable is a variety show of sorts where we talk about culture, relationships, leadership, dating, business, comics, marketing, art, sales, and more. Wherever the conversation takes us, one thing is for sure. This podcast is Shareable. This episode of Shareable is brought to you by the Superhero Institute. The Superhero Institute is a training and development organization located on the internet, and you can find it at superheroinstitute.org. The Superhero Institute is the single destination online to learn how to become a real-life superhero by mastering the five core superhero abilities and living the superhero values. The Superhero Institute empowers you with the skills you need to take the limits off your ability to level up. Think of everything that you'd be capable of doing if you possess the mindset, the frameworks, the tools, and the strategies to conquer sales, marketing, leadership, productivity, and more. The Superhero Institute is a constantly growing library of courses, and with each new course, the price of the membership does go up. So getting in early is just about the smartest thing you can do. But the other smartest thing you can do is listen to one of my podcasts, because listeners of both Shareable and Rogue both get 30% off any and all courses, including full access to the entire catalog of the Superhero Institute. Learn more today by visiting superheroinstitute.org slash shareable. Oh man, we're back with shareable. That's true. And now it's, now it's different. Now it's a whole different kind of thing because it's mine. It's my show now. I mean, it was always kind of my show, but like now it's like my show. Q, what's up, man? remember the YouTuber Philip DeFranco. Yeah, man. Yeah. Philip DeFranco. Yeah, he was, uh, he sold his, his, well, I'm going to paraphrase the story and get some of the facts incorrect. So beware of fake news. Um, That's kind of like a mantra. However, it used to be a property of discovery. He was an independent property. Then he signed on with discovery and did that work. And then he did the good work of buying himself back out of that agreement and then owning all of his properties and so now he's in the process of, or is continuing the process, the year-long process of building his own journalism. I don't even want to call it news, but he's doing this kind of, um, he wants to do this like deep investigative journalism into things that people really don't know a whole lot about or that people hear the headline, but what does that mean? And I think um, when you're talking about taking over uh, and, you know, it's back in your way, you're having a very important conversation, whether you know it or not, about what does it mean when you understand what is at stake with the content that you put out into the world? Yo, it's a really good question because um, I, am, I am feeling, especially lately, like hyper, hyper aware of every word that I say. Um, mainly as a result of everything that I am consuming, uh, all of the things that I am reading and thinking about these days. Um, it is, uh, yeah, I, I am very, very, I'm trying to be more slow and deliberate and considerate because it, it's as if, uh, man, how do you even talk about this? So, so 
here's what's happening for those listening. Because Q and I, we, we know what we're talking about, but I, people, are, so I'm reading. I'm reading a lot of books. They know nothing about it. So let's let's put it out there. So I'm reading. Um, I'm reading a lot of books about um, race and society. I guess for lack of a better classification of it, but particularly. Um, I guess reading from a variety of different perspectives about how race factors into society and it's illuminating a lot of things for me and changing my perception of crap my entire life uh, that I've been walking through without seeing a whole side of life. And I think um, as I'm interacting with social media and I'm thinking about all the content that I put out there, I'm, I mean, even as I'm putting together, I just put together this online dating course. There's a whole section of the online dating course that I was like, oh my God, I feel like I have to put in like a hundred disclaimers in here because I want to just make sure that I'm not being misunderstood or that I'm not misspeaking or that I'm saying something and I don't even know what I mean by it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been an interesting like month. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, so that whole section, right? The, those, or those sections, the question becomes, right, and I don't know those sections and not that I necessarily need to, right? The questions are still valid, which are, <clears throat> why the disclaimer in the first place? Why not say it clearly and take time to commit the labor to the words that are being used so that way they can be clear and congruent as much as possible? There's a reason why comedians can get on stage and turn an audience from hate to love because they're congruent and they understand what's at stake when they're stepping over these lines. And in some case, when they step on the line and they get, mm, you can't say that, that's not good. That's not even what, that's not what we're about anymore. They're able to own what that means and able to stand in that either rightness or wrongness or the perception of either one. Um, so when you're doing the online dating course, sure. Like what's at stake? People's ability to partner and be, and find a companion on the super, on the super like right side or whatever side, right? Over here on the other side is like, dude, are you going to get me late or what? Yeah. Well, I mean, the way that I was approaching it, uh, and it's funny, by the way, also, let me just set the, for everybody that's uh, listening to this episode of Shareable, Q and I are actually going to talk about Brandon a little bit, but we started out, <laughs> um, so um, for me, though, like at the beginning of the, so I created all the curriculum for this whole course, like over the last like four years. And it, it, I really only in the last like two to four months, maybe, did I realize that I am creating this course as a white male. Like, not like it was lost on me that I am a white male my entire life, but it was lost on me that that was like such a, a critical differentiator in how I how I learned all of the lessons that I learned and how I perceive them and how I'm distributing that information as effective information. And, and while I still believe in my heart that the vast majority of the concepts that are in there are effective because they're about, you know, how human beings receive information and, you know, um, you know, principles of marketing and sales. I do now have an understanding that there's a whole other side to it that I can't comment on. So I guess the point of like the, the kind of the disclaimer was at the beginning I kind of set the context of like, this is what I don't know. Here's what I'm claiming to talk about and what I think I know about. But I also don't want to speak for everyone in every perspective and everything. So just like kind of the what this is and what it's not and being clear about that so that I'm not representing that this is uh, true for all people. Yeah. And I think, I think the disclaimer language for me 
<clears throat> it's probably where my brain kind of goes like, eh. um, and that is to say, the audience that you're speaking to and the audience that you're not speaking to that still consumes what you're talking about um, is going to uh, applaud you and is going to criticize. Mm -hmm. And both of these things are worthwhile because there are things that you're not going to know until you know them and say them and put them out there. And that does not excuse what's being said. That does not, that does not, uh, the reasons for it, these, these reasons we call excuses does not make it right. What it does is allows you to become better because you've put yourself out there in a way in which that will allow you to be better. Now, that doesn't excuse you from the preparation that is necessary in order to put your best foot out there the first time. Um, and so, and I'm speaking, and so I think one of the things that I'm, or two of the things I'm saying is like, it does not, don't, you couldn't possibly say enough words to acknowledge the amount of emotional, intellectual, physical, and soul level labor that is happening with audiences that you don't intend this message to get to, to understand where you come from and where they might lovingly or unlovingly correct you or criticize. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, it and, and we're in that space right now where that nerve uh, has, been has been pulled out from underneath the skin and is raw and is just waiting. Yeah. So this is the, there's no greater time. And don't get it twisted. Nobody on planet Earth was born with the collective archive of their ethnicity, gender, um, sexuality, uh, otherwise subjugated and or striving for liberation identity planted firmly in their brain. They went through life and had experiences that they could not understand and they tried to make sense of them. And in the effort to make sense of them, found people that had had the same experiences throughout the canon of history. And all of a sudden were like, oh shit, this isn't just been happening to me and you, this has been happening. Hold on for a second. What I heard before was that, no, I thought we got, I thought I thought we got over this too. I thought we were finally no. It's this isn't right either. Oh my. Okay, so yeah, this has got to change. This don't work because mm -mm, I didn't like it before, and I damn sure don't like it now. And you mean this happened? Not even. Oh, this is the best it's ever been. Hold on, this is the best it's ever been, and we still we have these problems. And it's the reason why we this didn't happen. The reason why she didn't swipe left on me has nothing to do with anything that I can change. And that has, has nothing to do with my profile. It has everything to do with her perception of who I am based upon the fact that I do or do not have these or these or these attributes or these features. Yeah. So I, I want to, I want to talk specifics in it. Cause this is the, right before you and I jumped on this, uh, this, uh, this podcast, I was actually working on this section of the course, uh, which I'm about to release soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, available in fine bookstore. I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> the, there's a portion of it where I'll go through like the five aspects of a profile that are important. And the five aspects are, uh, what do you look like? What are you looking for? What do you bring to the table? Who are you looking to meet and who are you not looking to meet? And the who you're not looking to meet, I think is a very important um, function of the profile. I think especially for traditionally for women who are in the kind of the role of being pursued, 
um, I think it's important for them to say like, here's who I'm not looking to meet. And that generally means someone like, you know, like if they're looking for something serious, like, Hey, I'm not looking to meet like players and playboys. Like if that's what you're mm-hmm. thinking, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also people who are in, um, you know, like if you were raised, um, for instance, like, um, Erica, mm-hmm. her family was like for a long time pushing her to date a Chinese guy. Like they were really on it. And that's like, really, there's a lot of families where culture is like such a suit and race is such an important part of, you know, how you continue the lineage of that family. Like, how do we deal with things like that? So in it, I'm, I'm trying to address that you're going to have whatever your criteria are for disqualification, but two things should come of that. One, if you really have certain criteria that people can't help height, weight, race, things like that. Um, one, you should, you should examine your preexisting biases as you, write those things down, that should be an opportunity for you to like think about those things, number one. And number two, if you are going to write those things, you have to recognize that that's on you. Like that's stuff that you need to write about from the perspective of like, this is what I have to carry around and it's not about you. And I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but that's the way that I tried to frame it is that like, so I, I, I can do it only from the way that makes sense to me. So I'm white, but I'm short. So that's the one that I can do, right? So there, when I was online dating, there were women who would like say, oh, if you're, you know, shorter than six feet tall, don't bother messaging me, right? Sure. I'm like, ouch. Like, you know what that's like. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts. Yeah, some women don't want to fuck a troll. That happens. <laughs> Damn, dude. You just call us both trolls. <laughs> yeah. Liza Trigger stood uh, uh, beautifully on Netflix. If you ever want to see a lovely special that's, that's done, I enjoyed it a shit ton. It's one of my favorite stand-up specials. It's Degenerates on Netflix. Um, Big J Okerson is the leadoff. He used to run in circles with Kevin Hart. Matter of fact, Kevin Hart used to live with him. He has like great stories about that time and not so great stories because you live with somebody for long enough, you have stories. More so, Liza Traeger, uh, or Traeger, um, her, she's wearing uh, a mini dress, halter top, leather thing situation. Um, it starts off. It starts off as any comedy does, with like a little bit of just like back and forth things to get you rolling. But then when she gets in the meat of it, really just talking from a from a from a like from a woman perspective, just having her conversation, talking her shit. Um, she's like, why does it like? She, what leads into the setup for that punchline? Some women just don't want to fuck a troll. I laugh my ass off and still laugh my ass off to this day because it's fucking true. And everything she says before and after that, I just gave you a snippet so that maybe somebody watches right, it. I might have to go watch it just so that yeah, I can sure. context to that. It's 30, because... minutes, it's 30 minutes that'll change your life and it'll make you buy a book. If you don't already have it, she mentions a book in there. As a, as a cisgender male dude, hetero, you should, you should have this book. Matter of fact, if you just enjoy women, period, it's probably a good idea to have this book. All right, cool. I will be sure to check it out. So, but, but to go back real quick to the short thing, sure. the, the way that I phrased it on this course was like, um, if, if you're a woman that doesn't want to date a shorter guy, instead of saying like, I don't date short guys mm-hmm. and like making it about them say, listen, um, I feel self-conscious when I date someone who is shorter than me. I've always, it always makes me feel giant and I would never want to put my partner in a position where I'm constantly uncomfortable with them because of something that they can't control, but because of something I feel right. So like making it an I statement, using me statement, things like that to go Mm -hmm. through. I don't know how to possibly do that outside of something that I understand like being short, but that's anyway, that's like kind of, uh, a good example of like, as I'm going through this course, I'm like, how do I talk about this concept that I think is important, trying to avoid as many landmines as possible of sticking my foot in my mouth and saying something I don't intend, 
while also realizing I'm never going to be perfect. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. And hopefully someone will call me out and let me and give me the respect of being able to fix it or, you know, improve upon it. Read, research, review. Okay. I thought that was going to be, uh, I thought you were going to say read, and then you were going to give me a thing to, I know. No, I, I mean, I can give you a lot of things to read. Um, I can't be responsible okay. for, I can't be responsible for that section, yeah. but I can say read research review. Yeah. Um, I want you to read something, research it further, go deeper. Yeah. It's there's more, there's more that exists than whatever understanding, whatever understanding that I agree with immediately is 10 times, 10 to one, not, con, not complete. Yeah. It is incomplete. I'm missing a lot. Um, I might be ultimately right in what I'm saying, but my how of getting there is so important that I need to hit more, more. Like even in this conversation, there's more, even in this conversation with that joke from Liza Triger, the reason why she's a comedian is because there's more setup and there's, there's more context that needs to be created in order for that punchline to like have the, uh, that it really does of like, oh, getting you to think from that, like for getting you to just know that that perception exists. So like right now you're just in knowledge, right? Like you have the reflex of, I know I couldn't possibly, I know I couldn't this, I know I couldn't that, I know, I know, I know. So you, you, we know a shit ton. We know so much. We hear so much. We know so much, but we don't understand. So like once we get past knowing knowledge, base level knowledge of a thing, we get to understanding and then you might understand, oh, okay, I've like researched it and I understand like more of the context. So like when we get context, we start to understand. But context isn't it, right? So then there's like the next level, which is like, oh, I get it. Like I get it. I have experience with that thing. I know what it is. I know what it is. I understand it. I have experience with it. This, is, gets into, this starts getting into a little bit more of identity and a little bit more of race and things you can and can't change about who you are and the environment that you're raised in and all those things. I couldn't possibly know what it's like to be a five foot six Jewish man in Philadelphia. I know what it's like to be a five foot six black man in Philadelphia. I can, the, the thing that bridges that gap between understanding and getting it is empathy. I can empathize through experiences that I had or what it could possibly be like. I can envision, I can imagine. Another way to think about it is imagination. But people don't like that word because imagination doesn't have proper respect in the, United, in, in the world. It, I don't think it has proper respect, like your ability yeah, we, to just- We put it at the kid's table when it doesn't belong. Yeah. Mm -mm. Cool. It's, it's something that's really powerful. Yeah. Oh yeah, imagination's a beautiful thing. If used properly, it's always right for abuse. After you get it, then you get into agreement. Agreements are where everything breaks down. Agreements are where every, like people, this is where maturity takes over. And like our ability to, because agreement has with it nuance. And I can disagree with you, but we say this stupid thing that's called, well, let's just agree to disagree, which means shut the fuck up. It does not mean we agree to disagree. It means shut the fuck up. What, I, what we're looking for is acceptance of that disagreement. I wanna still accept you when we disagree about a thing. Mm -hmm. And you still wanna accept me because we, when we disagree about this thing. I love Jeff to death. He's one of my best friends. When it comes to mobile phones, in 2012, we disagreed because BlackBerry was superior and Jeff was stuck on this thing called an Apple iPhone. And I thought that was real stupid. I was incorrect because Apple won. I still have the lost tape somewhere to prove that I was right on that one. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. I, I have no, I just, that's what I wanted. That's a, that's confirmation bias. I wanted BlackBerry because I like the tactile input. I love that stuff. It makes me, I love physical connection. It, well, um, you'd sent me the, uh, is it Tanahishi coats? Tanahasi, Tana yeah, Tanahasi Tana coach. Um, 
I'm saying his name wrong, but it, mm-hmm. one, that was an amazing um, podcast episode. So for those listening, it's called On Being, and uh, it's the episode with Tanahishi. Say it again. Tanahasi. Tanahasi Coates. Tanahasi. There's an E in there. It can't. Yeah. Okay. Tanahasi Coates. Like, there's an E in my name, but it's an A sound. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. That's uh, okay. Accents so, are a beautiful thing. It is true. So, um, but he, there's a couple, there's so many things in that were just really, really, um, it was just a great episode to listen to. But um, the one thing he was talking about was he was talking about patriotism and he was talking about how um, patriotism is oftentimes kind of like an uncritical love. And he, he likens it to his wife. Like, so he says, you know, I love my wife, but like, if I mess up, I want her to tell me. And if she messes up, I'm going to tell her, but we still love each other. And he's like, if you had the kind of relationship where you just blindly love the other person, no matter how much they messed up or whatever that, and he, I think he, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying there, but he was saying we're, he was talking about patriotism and how oftentimes uh, patriotism has become this sort of like blind loyalty rather than critical love. And um, you know, it's interesting because it's that idea of like being able to screw up and be willing to forgive the other person or be willing to be wrong and disagree with one another, but still respect and appreciate one another. You know, I think there's got to be some sort of formula for why things break down uh, in those situations. And it can't just be kindness, I'm sure. There's something else there, and I don't know what it is. But anyway, I thought that was a really interesting episode. Tadahasi Coast does a great many things quite well. Um, and in that uh, On Being interview with Krista Tippett, um, the unedited version is the one that yeah. I've listened to. So that's I can. One, that's when yeah. you so I listen to it. Yeah. So that's the one that I can speak the most clearly to. Um, when he's talking about that, um, that gets into a conversation um, that Brene Brown has often about belonging, spaces where you belong. And spaces where you belong are not safe. Spaces where you belong are brave. The, the, now, don't get it twisted. And this is my little on it, right? So I'm not particularly right or wrong. This is just how I see it, right? In order, the price of admission to a brave space is safety. So it's kind of like you have to go through a safe space to get to a brave one. You don't just create a brave space, right? It's, so if that, if that be the case, if that's what we're doing here, then of course somebody that I love Within that love, I speak brave words that would otherwise be offensive in public, that would otherwise be embarrassing in front of others. That if, if that's, this space was not first surrounded by safety, then I, then I have the propensity for hurt and for shame and for resentment to grow. So in a brave space, I can speak these words to you, but I must first make that space safe and then we can construct what bravery looks like. So when Ta-Nehisi's talking about, I speak these words to people that I love, right? He's talking about, he's talking about this. Patriotism or any, or a lot of isms, I'm not gonna say all isms, I will speak to, specifically to that, can hijack or abuse the bravery of a space by removing it from safe first, right? If I can say anything that I want as a patriot because I'm in America, but that space is not safe yet. And so therefore I, it's not, it's not yet time for you to say anything yet. And you have the freedom. So I need you to be responsible with that. Right. It's when, and, and brands do it constantly, businesses do it constantly. They're always violating 
the safety of a brave of like where brave space exists by pulling it outside of a safe space by pulling it outside of what is intimacy all right man that's a good point for us to shift to the brand conversation so sure yeah uh, so and i think it actually takes it it starts us off on a different foot than i anticipated we'd begin this conversation so <laughs> it, the the initial genesis for this conversation was that was it, like two two to two two weeks to four weeks ago uh we were hanging out in philly and you just like launched off on this thing about brand and it was absolutely brilliant. And I was like, all right, well, we clearly have to record something about this. Um, but kind of shifting from like the, the conversation that we were just in, let's start on before we get into like, what is a brand and what is branding and how is it different from marketing and advertising and all these other things? Um, let's, let's talk about brands, companies, brands, uh, and social activism, because I think that that is a really or, or, or social activism as PR stunt. Um, okay. It's like a really interesting way to kind of go into this model that you, uh, that you, I don't know if you developed it or where, I don't know how you, I don't know how to like explain what this is without like giving it away. But like you have this model to talk about brand that I think is absolutely brilliant. And I think that if we first talk about what brands are trying to do out there by, you know, uh, trying to hijack social justice conversations or uh, like, like the Gillette toxic masculinity or like Pepsi's uh, black lives matter sort of thing, like all that sort of stuff. Is it possible for a brand to jump into a social conversation and realistically that it's not about the money? <laughs> because that's the thing I see every time I see it, every time uh -huh. I see a single company try to jump into this, I'm like, but let's be real. All that really matters to you is profit and loss. That's what it comes down to. Like you'll abandon this ship the minute it's not serving your business. So I think what occurs to me in that's like, like with that question, like them jumping ship and is it really all about the money? I guess, what is the purpose of business? I've, I've, so in my talk about, um, uh, you know, the 60 minute social media MBA, but I said, one of the things I learned in my MBA was that money is a language of business. The only thing that actually matters in business, realistically, when it comes down to it is revenue, expenses, profit, right? Profit being the important part. It comes down to money. Nothing else actually matters unless it serves that. Cause that's what a business exists to do is to make money. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Current paradigm. Yeah. yeah. I'll, that's, there's nothing, uh, what is it uh, that I don't see anything? Yeah, because maximize. What is it? The the charter of business. Maximize shareholder value. Maximize yeah. profit for shareholders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, in companies, sometimes there there are there are shareholders, and other times there's just sole owner. Whatever it is, the point is, is that the business itself, its function is make money. That's it. Yeah. So, social activism doesn't make money or social activities, right? Social enterprise, like the idea of being socially active, going after social ails and resolving them. So like answering them, if not getting to the point of solving or resolving for them, does that make money? I think we'll generate money, but mm -hmm. I, I think, okay, so this is kind of like a, a, a nuance, right? So Susan G. Komen raises money and they mm -hmm. put a bunch of money back into it and then they fund research and they fund operations and things like that. And, but mm -hmm. those are nonprofits. I guess the question is, is like, does a business, LLC, C-Corp, S-Corp, 
that's they exist there. Complete nonprofits. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Work I mean, business, business. They generate money, but I think mm-hmm. if you're looking at like a social movement, I don't think it it ex- it, it can, money can be a component of it because I I think nothing can really exist outside of money in our society. But it doesn't exist to make money, to retain earnings and distribute them among distribute them amongst its shareholders. I, I would assume. I would assume like an, an authentic movement that is there to affect social change is not there to generate profit unless that profit is to be reinvested in the movement. Yeah. So that's the feeling, right? But that's not how, that's not how the one thing nonprofits want to do is learn how to operate like businesses. Mm-hmm. Right. You can go to any nonprofit administration program. Nationwide. I had a board meeting this morning and we were talking about our financials and like it's a, it's a profitable nonprofit. It, it runs mm-hmm. itself based on its services um, but, but the mission's different and it's, you know, it's not, it's not pulling wealth out of it, um, or dodging taxes or anything like that. Eh, ours isn't to my knowledge, but I mean, I'm sure nonprofits probably try to avoid paying as many taxes as they can so that they can fund operations and, you know, keep doing their mission. But I don't know, man, that's a good question. So in order for these things to be congruent or for these things to make sense, the gaffes with Pepsi, the gaffes with Starbucks, the gaffes that are across the board with different brands that have kind of tried to be socially active and have failed miserably is that they're incongruent. And that means that they haven't adequately managed their relationship with the profits or the revenue or the capital that they seek and the audience that they wish to speak to, which means they have a misunderstanding fundamentally of what their brand is and what it does with their audience, how it lives in the minds, the hearts, the soul, like that spirit, that soul, the guts of a person, of their, what they call their audience, I like to just call people, right? And people that they serve. You serve me Pepsi. When I pay, when I put a dollar into the machine, that machine serves me Pepsi. When I go to Starbucks, I give you money, you serve me a coffee. That's a person serving another person a coffee in exchange for money. And with that money, philosophers like Zizek, um, Slavoj Zizek, philosophers like, we'll just stick with Zizek for right now because we can go off on many tangents. In exchange for that money, I'm offsetting the fact that Starbucks uh, pays for the college tuition of their employees, gives them health care. They do all these wonderful, amazing things with that extra money that I give them for this cup of whatever, coffee, frappuccino, juice, milk, whatever it is that they're going to serve me at Starbucks. They do all those things with it so I don't have to think about it, right? So that way I can feel better about the fact that I'm ignoring it. Mm-hmm. Or they're choosing to shop there versus elsewhere. If right. I'm choosing, like, it's, one, it's one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. And so when they do something outside of that, or they do something, it's incongruent. It doesn't make sense. What are you doing, right? So Starbucks can do a lot of things. They've had a ton of gaffes right? Including their own owner trying to run for president, right? They've had a ton of gaffes. But it's not incongruent to the business of Starbucks. And one of the potential tenets of the business of Starbucks is making sure that their workers are taken care of. Um, even Even when they had their major gaffe in Philadelphia on the race issue, they shut down their store to go through training. And for people like Nikki Giovanni, who's a big, if you know that name, Nikki Giovanni, if you don't look it up um, and read some of her poetry and leave some of her work and why, and, and to understand where we are. I think you're, you're having a conversation of like, what happens when you have a brand 
and you have a way of doing business that always operates this way. So therefore you can handle, your company can handle a gap and can offset a boycott and protest because that's what they did because they responded correctly versus companies who don't and who just say, oh, we're sorry. And people are like, I'm done with them. I don't even go there anymore. Why people were so itchy for a Popeye's chicken sandwich because they were ready to get rid of Chick-fil-A. Some people were really ready to like not, they haven't had a chicken sandwich in eight years. They were ready to go someplace and have another one. I still didn't go to Popeye's, but still like they were just ready. Yeah, they didn't, they just didn't want any hate in their sandwich. Mm. I don't want hate nuggets. I want peace nuggets, man. (laughs) Sell me, sell me some, sell me some sandwiches. that got some love in them, not your hate and vitriol and rightness. No. So can you, can a, can a company be socially active? 100%. 100%. I have shoes right now that were handmade, that were made by a person because, and that gets into accessibility and access and all the rest of those things that I have. I have enough money that I can vote with my dollar that way. Right. I always wonder about the, the situations where a company does something messed up though, and it doesn't actually affect them long term. Because when I, because I think about the, I, I guess the, um, I wonder how far the pendulum swings on any of this, right? So like there's, there's this whole, I think a lot of this comes out of like millennials vote with their wallets and millennials are cause driven, right? So all of these companies are trying to jump on the bandwagon and like, you know, if you buy a Hyundai, we're going to give like a dollar to clean water in Africa or something, which has absolutely nothing to do with buying a Hyundai, but like they've been told millennials, it's important to them to like give back and be socially active, right? And, and that doesn't swing it very far in their favor when they do things like that. And then you have like United breaks to guitars or like, I think it was United where they drag that guy off of the airplane and like all the different things happen. But like, they still have the flight at the right price and you need to get where you're going to go. And like, there's that. So I guess I just wonder how much, uh, uh, you know, gaffes and, um, you know, social activism, any of that actually moves the needle or whether when it comes down to business, it just, you know, look at Walmart, like they have the lowest price. People are going to shop there sometimes. Yeah. And Walmart has, has done a great deal to change uh, how they do business and how they treat people. Um, and also they have this other company that's kind of like taking a lot of shine off of them right now called Amazon. Right? Yeah. And they have a whole bunch of warehousing issues that are way more problematic than, pro- than Walmart's things, right? And the, then the businesses that were shut down by Walmart coming to down are shut down now. Or they've been replaced by like a whimsical dog grooming place. Um, so like you have, these, you have these things happening. And I think business, like not if, so when we're talking about businesses like airlines, airlines are in their a whole different, they're federally regulated because, because they are, a necessary, right? And I think you get into things that are necessaries. And when things are necessaries, things can just be business. And things get reduced down to the, get reduced based upon margins. margins. And it's something that you can see United responding the way that they did. Um, somewhat good, measured, somewhat bad, not measured. Um, and then you can see and so when they hit like this business hard time, they got to change because they're running so lean. They're like, oh, we got to do these things. And they don't have a good brand. Like their brand name is not, it's not, I don't think the, I don't think certain airlines and think, oh, I can't wait to fly them. However, one of the airlines with the best brand, is not the most expensive, right? 
Um, they just went through a major, they went through down terminals. They went through. Talking a, about Southwest right now? Oh yeah. I'm going to get there. So like they went through sure. plane crash issues. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. They went through plane crash issues. Um, they were a major victim, uh, a major, like a major issue with them is the fact that they buy all 737s. So when they saw the 737 Max go down twice, they were like, we're leveraged heavy. Our whole business is built upon our ongoing relationship with Boeing and the ability to buy these planes. They still manage based upon their, they're like, oh, we know how to communicate with our audience because they know their customer. Their brand is so solid that they can say, hey, we're t- things are going to be a little bit expensive for a little bit while we figure out the 737 thing, but bear with us. We're going to take care of you. And they do. They make good on every single one of their process. They don't make it complicated, right? Their brand is so sound. Now you can do business and be huge like United. And then when you have a gaffe, you have to re- juggle everything around and you don't know how to get the right messaging, right? And how to do these things. And then quarter over quarter, people are worried about your fluctuations. Or you can do a Southwest and be growing continue to go to new places. And then when things happen, plane crashes, terminals, all the rest of these things, they didn't cra- They had a thing come off and stuff like that. Even me now, what I'm talking about, I'm like trying to minimize it. It's not that bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> I lost Just an engine. Right? <laughs> that, right? It's that. It's that I can, it's, they've created, Southwest has created a company that is a safe space. So that way, one-to-one on the plane, they can make jokes, sometimes off color, sometimes on point, right? They can, they, can turn their, they can turn their whole entire fuselage, their entire plane into a, into a space where everybody belongs. You just hang out. Everybody's coach. There's no first class. Yeah. You want food? Bring it on. Yeah. Oh, you're worried about that other line? They charge you for the seats, for the carry-ons, for the blah, 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 and the this, and the other. We don't do all that. It's going to cost this amount. You get on the plane. You got a ticket. You got a seat. Let's go. Never forget their whole, why do you charge for bags? I was like, oh, that's amazing. Because that makes me so frustrated. And that was actually when they, well, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why they got my loyalty. But that was one of them where I was like, that just makes sense. If I'm going somewhere, especially for more than an overnight, and it's further than two hours away, I'm going to need a bag. So yeah. thank you for not charging me. Well, listen, I want to hear, uh, let's do the thing. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to tell people this brand. And I'm, I'm Honestly, I just want to hear it again. But like you explained brand in a way that I've never really heard anyone explain brand. Typically, we're used to talking about brand as a promise. We're used to talking about brand as sometimes the visual identity of a company. But you talked about it in a totally different way the last time we got together. So let, let's, let's do that again. Hit me, hit me with it again. All right. Dance. Um, Dance. That thing you do. And um, go. So I think... Um, when we're talking about brand, when we're talking about business, fundamentally the brand development process starts after the business strategy, business model. Like after you develop the business, after you know what you're doing and how you make money and for who, right? And usually the answer is like my customers. Okay, great. Who are your customers? You might have some demo data on that, but like if you're, most businesses can make millions upon millions of dollars just selling, making and selling the thing. Mm-hmm. So we don't really need a brand. I just need a thing to make it and sell it. When you want to make a thing, when you make a thing, produce it, you sell it, you're selling it to a person. And so people run in this thing called, run on this thing uh, called energy and it makes us warm and it makes us hot. 
Um, human beings are 98.6 degrees. So I like to say humans are like 100 degrees hot, right? They're 100 degrees hot, 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 hot. Passion, purpose, determination, art, culture, community, hot, hot, hot. Like all these things are very, are very hot. They're very volatile, right? I'm passionate about this thing. Oh my goodness, I'm passionate about this person. I'm passionate about this. Passion, passion, purpose, purpose. I'm determined no matter what gets in my way, I'm going to make it happen. Business doesn't operate that way. That's why when people jump into business, people are like, you got to follow your passion. Why would you do that? Business isn't, this is not about passion. Business is cold. Business is cold, like a zero degrees cold, like below freezing, zero degrees cold. Business is finance. Business is strategy. Business is legal. Business is design, engineering, business, 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 business. Wrote, this is what it is. Are we making money or not? Are we making profits or not? Are we offsetting our taxes or not? Is this legally sound and in our best interest or not? That's it. Down, it's almost binary, except you need strategy because there's more choices, right? There's more choices than A and B. If it was just do this thing or not, like it's still in between those bookends, there's tons of variation. So that's why we have strategy to intercede there. In between this hot and cold space, the variable, the variable distinction that feeds, that fits between business and brand, sorry, business and humans is brand. It speaks the language of business to people. It speaks the language of people to business. Brand does. Brand is as much relationships as it is how you develop those relationships. So when we think about brand, when we think about businesses that are business heavy, I think about the financial sector, banks, right? Banks, you might go to your neighborhood bank, but banks are really cold because they're about holding your money. And I don't want my bank to be like, yay, look at all this fun. Whoop, you made a mistake. Look, I need, my bank, I need my bank to have my money together, right? When I go there and I know I have my 68 cents, I want to go pick up my 68 cents, right? So I need quarters. you to be... <laughs> I want it in quarters. I want it in oh two God. quarters and a dime <laughs> and a nickel and three pennies, sir. Three pennies. I don't want anything. Yeah, and if you give me another penny, I'll be happy, but I'll be asking questions. Yeah, bank error in your favor. So, brands that so banks that really get the brand conversation speak business, speak business of banking or banking to people in ways that make sense. And so you can have banks that are super cold and that have these crazy fees and all the rest of that stuff, but you have banks that get it and figure out ways to that that figure out ways to make their their model work so that way their brand works so that way they're like we know this is really cold and this is really difficult and you don't know a lot and we're willing to guide you through this process. The thing about when talking about when talking to clients about this when they finally get on the brand conversation it's like oh I want to do that I love this brand and stuff and they want to work with their trademarks which we call logo really dumb uh we i want to do uh the thing with the font and can we get our messaging down and our talk points and da da da, da and all that and i love this color have, blue yeah and i want this color blue and stuff like that and it's like that's great um one problem we can't start the brand conversation from humans where it's hot because when it's hot outside right when it's when you're hot when you're outside and you're hot um and you're having a good time you're like, oh man, this is great. It's summertime at the beach. 
the wrong gust of cold comes by, whoo, it's over. I, I can't take 70 degree cold when I'm 90 degrees, when I'm 100 degrees. 70 degree cold is, freeze, is cold and 60 degrees is freezing. Not doing that. I'm not going that direction. That's just going the direction. I did not come here for this. When I'm cold, however, heat is important. Heat is probably the most important thing when you're cold. So if I get five degrees, 10 degrees warmer, whoo, I'm holding on to that. I'm holding on to that tighter than I, I've been hiking in Scotland, Jeff, in December. And I'm not talking Scotland like close to London, England, Scotland. I'm talking Scotland like close, like up there near the Arctic Circle, turrets and highlands, like north of Edinburgh near Avonmore, Scotland, like in the Cairngorms. I went through a mountain pass um, and that thing is cold and windy and heat is a commodity and it is precious. It is a precious thing. So whenever I'm talking to business people and they get a whiff of what brand can do, like what brand really is and how it actually works on your behalf, they hold on to it and everything becomes very precious. And this is how, the, this is how we communicate all the time. When Southwest heard about the 737, heard about the, all the issues going on, I got a letter from the president of Southwest, like, yo, we heard about what's going on. Here's a voucher. Here's all these things. Don't worry about it. Like, we'll take care of it. We got it. We got you. We know it was really bad. We know you had some, if you need to call in and talk to us, I called in and asked some questions. He was like, don't, not because they get, just because they, they didn't have to give me anything. They didn't have to give me a thing. They fixed all my flights. They got me where I need to be. They didn't have to do that. But it's central to their brand. And yes, that makes business sense because that's where brand sits. It communicates business to humans. And so it has to do that. So it gives you reasons for why you do the things that you do. I think other thing is like, you have to think about brand as a, like a development process. So there's the brand development process, right? So there's branding, which are the attributes, the aesthetics, the trademark, the font, the messaging, the manifest, all these different pieces. There's the branding. But there's this brand development process that I think that it, it shows that in business school, we didn't spend a lot of time on this because we thought of it as a subset of marketing. We're going to do marketing and advertising. And usually most business people like advertising, get to the people, get them to buy, 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 get them to buy. Well, advertising is like, hold on, we have to do different things and tickler email campaigns and all these different strategies and tactics and strategies and tactics. But strategies and tactics don't talk to people. Brand does. And so when you get all those messaging, we get all those things. The question is, what relationship are you developing with those humans through these tactics? And so these tools aren't bad. These systems aren't poor. How we approach them is. So when we, when we have that, when we have leaders start with why, of course they do. That's why this business is here is because we started with why. And because we have why, we know what it is. We now have Apple. We now have Nike. We now have Jabra, my headset. We now have Google. We now have all these, all these businesses and brands. We now know the what. The question is how. How are we going to connect all these people, this leader, this leader who knows the why, the, brand, the company that knows the why and the what, how are we going to use these tools to connect with people? And brand does that. I'm not down on advertising. I just think that that advertising does not inform. Brand so, does. So brand being this thing that sits between people and business and helps to 
bridge the gap between those two because the interest of the business is different than the interest of the person. And brand sits in between it and serves as that conduit to basically translate the interests in, in both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that's a really great model and I absolutely love the way that you explain it. Um, question, there's so many questions that come out of this. I guess I want to kind of call back to the uh, social activism of companies and how um, you're really on this. No, no, no. I'm I'm on it specifically because in this case, what it sounds like is Mm -hmm. that if the brand is the way that a company can talk to its customers in a way that doesn't just sound like this self-serving cold business interest of dollars and cents in finance. And there's Mm -hmm. this thing called brand that allows them to have the conversation Mm -hmm. that translates through why it matters to you as a customer. Mm -hmm. Then wouldn't it then kind of back to this idea of congruence Mm -hmm. uh, between uh, what the, what the brand is setting out to do and who they really are. um, How, how is it that brand is ever utilized in a way or that's not the right way of saying this. It seems to me that brand can be used as subterfuge. It can be used as a decoy and it's not authentic to the, to the company necessarily and to the business and its interests that the brand can be used to actually, it, it's like if, if, if the business was English and the customer was German, you would think brand would translate English to German and German to English, but really it, the, the brand is really Brazilian, but it's translating to the customer uh, in English, but it, it, it's pretending that it's German. You see what I'm saying? Like, like mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of like mapping on in such a way that it's not authentic to who you actually are, what your interests actually are. You're just, you're throwing something out there to throw people off the scent. And that's, that's what it seems like that social activism piece is. But it's also like, if you look at something like, here's a good one, Wells Fargo, right? Like they put out things now about like how they care about their customers. Like, like we don't remember that you started like 3 million accounts illegally. And like now all of a sudden, just because you put something out there, you can use your, your, you can pretend that your brand is something that it's not. I guess, how do we ensure that brand is authentic to what the business uh, is? That, I guess that's what I'm asking. Okay. That, that's uh, I was going to say, I'm like, it sounds like you're asking a different question. And that yeah, is that's what I got back to. And so fundamental within brand is the, I would call it like the relationship map, right? And relationship map starts with this avenues of trust. Um, Brene Brown does a great job in her leadership work and in her work talking about the anatomy of trust. There's a really good um, podcast excerpt. She did it on, on, cause I, I love Oprah so much. Um, she did it on Oprah. It's about 30 minutes and it talks about the anatomy of trust. Look it up on your, in your podcast, whatever, um, the anatomy of trust. And it talks about trust is built in the small places. The reason why people love Zappos so much is because of the story of the Zappos uh, customer service agent sending the bouquet of flowers to the, and taking the return um, past the time because she was like, my husband died. All the rest of the things that go along with that. Yeah. I mean, there's like hundreds of those Zappos stories. Right. And so exact. So repetition, repetition builds memory. Remember I said the brand lives in the mind, hearts, guts, and the soul. Right. Um, And if you, and here soul is like that, like, soul food, cookout, music, like church on a Sunday, even though you don't go, but you still get it. Like, man, there's something about this. There's a reason why if you go to House of Blues, they still have Sunday brunch with like the gospel choir for people who don't even believe in God. And I might be, I'm one of them. So like, not that way. 
It's because you love brunch. I do love brunch. And I do love a good choir. I'm a sucker for a choir. Yo, here's what it sounds like to me, just as an analogy. It sounds like brand is not a t-shirt that you put on. A brand is like a brand, like you brand a cow. Like it's got to be deep in you. It can't be something that you can take off. It does. I'm not going to take that one because I'm going to say that I'm going to, I'll say it, I'll say it slightly different. Um, and that is to say, or differently, oh, think different Apple. Anyway. Um, so differently, I think when you're looking at brand, you're looking at the relationship. And so when you're looking at the relationship and you're saying whether or not these guys are authentic, they're genuine. I used to have this thing that I said, and uh, I still like it. And that is, I can see somebody walking down the street and I'm like, man, that's a really nice suit. You see that suit? You see how it's cut? Woo, that's a nice suit. That's a man with a nice suit. Walks closer. I'm like, that suit looks, I look a little closer. Okay, yeah, that's a little closer. And I feel brand is when I touch, when I put hands onto the lapel of the suit and I feel the textile. Brand is where I noticed the stitching. Is it machined or is it hand done? These are things that I need to, I need to know to look for. Okay. Every time a customer knows more about what to look for, your brand, i.e. your business, your company needs to be there with like, that's why this feels like this. You've always been getting top quality product because that's what we always do. And that's what you pay for. Whenever there's a violation of that, when I go, I just found out that this stitching is the way it is to be done, that this is hand stitching. You've been selling it as hand stitching. There's an, there's an inequity there. I've been sold something that's untrue. You've told me that you really care about the environment and care about people and that you're doing this one for one thing. The idea is sound, but it doesn't seem like you're actually doing what you say you do, right? This doesn't just mean to the customer. This means to investor relations, right? We work. The brand of WeWork is that it's tech for real estate. So all the metrics, everything that's been used to measure its performance has been about a tech, a software as a service, or a big tech company, a unicorn big tech company. So they're going to have those kind of growth numbers. But it's not. It's a real estate play. It's an amazing real estate play. It's a beautiful real estate play. But if you judge it by big tech numbers, it's going to not work. And so they need to change the brand of WeWork and the messaging within, they need to go through the development process of working through that brand. So that way, that which way, that, that way that it lands in the guts and in the minds and in the hearts and that soul of people is like, you know what? They're creating space for people that otherwise don't have one, but they're not doing that. They're trying to chase the money and brand doesn't chase money. It chases people. I like the idea of the brand as relationship. It kind of goes back to some of what people traditionally talk about brand as being is, you know, it's the, the brand promise. Like what does the brand communicate to you? And it's similar to setting expectations with people in your life. When you first meet someone, you have a first impression of them. And that, if you take that as being brand as well, like you have a certain, uh, if you meet somebody who wears like, you know, a uh, t-shirt and jeans, that's going to be a different first impression than somebody who's wearing like a really nice suit, right? But if you then, the next two to 10 times you meet that person, they switch from suit to uh, wearing like sweatpants and a t-shirt, that changes your perception of that brand. Now, all of a sudden that brand is different from when you originally met them. So I guess the point of, of um, you know, the Southwest example and some of these other ones you've given is that they've built 
you build a brand over time by being consistent in the promise that you've made with people. So it sets expectations. And then in the uh, situation like Starbucks, for instance, they responded to it quickly and their their transgression was um, more quickly forgiven because it was out of character from the the promise that and, and the interaction and relationship that people typically would have with them. Whereas another brand, like if United did some, some shit, uh, people would be less quick to forgive because their reputation, their, their past experiences and expectations of them would dictate that this isn't out of character. This is who they really are. Yeah. And there's some businesses that like, that's just how they roll. Right. And they, you, Boiler Room is a movie for a reason. Right. Like that's just how sometimes you smash and grab, man. Right. And I don't, we have the way in which we, we operate and work with businesses and the way in which our agency kind of gets things done is we try to look for those, what you're looking for, those signals or those tells that they, that that business cares about, fundamentally cares about people, even just in how they title their senior executives, chief people officer, chief brand officer, you know, they might choose instead of sales and marketing, might choose revenue, they choose different language right? Oh, you know, I can't stand all these brands that are using all this. I mean, all these companies that are using all this fancy language. It's just an accountant. An accountant's an accountant. No, he's not. An accountant is not an accountant. Much like you being a man are not just like every other man on planet Earth, okay? There's 3.5 billion dudes on planet Earth. You think there might be some variation between the norm? Yes. I'm going to answer that for you. So Thank you. Thank that you. Really- I was mulling it over. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, um, when, when looking at these things and when going, when going through like these really cold, like these really cold conversations, you know, Q, how we got to increase profitability. We got to do all these things. Yeah. We have to resolve for those things and we can't work on the brand yet because those are, those are worthwhile distractions. Your business is fundamentally flawed. And a lot of people want to work on brand as a distraction from business. So. But sometimes isn't your business problem brand? Mm. Make sure the make sure the business is sound. It's kind of like how when you bring a car in, sorry, make sure business sounds kind of like when you bring a car in. Even if you say it's for an oil change, they'll still do a checklist around the car, and you're like, oh, that's for insurance and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's it's, it's to protect themselves to make sure that when they go touch the oil filter, that nothing else breaks, right? So like, we'll go and check out the business to make sure your business is right. If you want to just work on brand, those are executions. So do you really need? Do, or do you, do you really need just a designer to, design, to like update your logo or your trademark? Do you really just need somebody to do the video? Because those are, those are brand attributes and features that might be used to deploy in the form of advertising, right? So that's an advertising conversation, I think. I think we do a lot of work that is execution-based. We, we make a hard line, like we make it known that this is not this is not the brand develop. This is not brand that way. This is very much pushing out messages. Now, those messages need to be congruent to how the brand, when we say these things, oh, we're doing these things, great. Can you show me uh, where in uh, Ecuador those shoes are being made? I mean, we see the, do you have video of the factories? No, you need to send a team down there, get some video. Why? Because nobody, because I don't believe you. And if I don't, then I don't know who else is going to be like, eh, don't, doesn't smell right right? Doesn't, doesn't look right. Looks like they might be, looks like they might be trying to pull something and people are hip and some, you know, all business people aren't that they're, they're this, they're that. Okay. 
If that's the audience you want, that's a highly competitive market, the gullible people. If you want the loyal people, they're, they need a little bit more. If you, want, like, if you want to have real business, if you want to grow it, you're going to need a little bit more. If you don't want to exploit those, if you, want to, if you believe in this idea of compassionate capitalism, um, then sure. I got like three books on my list about that. Oh my God. That's, that yeah. is. Look, uh, when it comes to whatever's happening now, socially and culturally, globally, right? Like where there are, there are people in Hong, Hong Kong's having a revolution right now around independence and what that means, right? For real, for real. Like, have we ever actually had independence or we had, or we have had it licensed? Have we had it like licensed from somebody else? Like they've just allowed us to kind of do our thing. And it's like, oh snap. People are having a very big crisis with business, period. Why are we doing this this way? Why is it that Amazon, the tax on doing business digitally in the United States, if not globally, is Amazon? You can't start a website without going to AWS if you want to have something significant. If you want to sell a product and it's not retail in a physical location, guess what? You're using Amazon. There's only a few companies that don't do that. Scott Galloway out of NYU makes his entire career out of illuminating this point. The only place that you're going to find innovation is by connecting with your customer in powerful ways and introducing to them options and understanding what does and doesn't work. And you don't do that from the position of brand. You don't do that from a very cold place talking about numbers and dollars and cents and legal and all those things. You do it in spaces of brand where the relationship is valid and you respect the choices and the decisions and the spaces that people come from. That includes your people internally and externally. And if internally your brand does not spin this way, externally every single message you put out there will cost you 10 times the amount of money to get people to believe something that ain't true. It will cost you infinitely less to do it, correct it if it's not that way, and get it right on. Build the relationship that trust starts internally. It does not start externally. That warmth is something that needs to be grasped by the business. The business needs to hold on to people. Keep them. Loyalty is built there. Internally within the organization, you have those messages there. Again, business is cold. It craves warmth. Brand is that warmth. If you're trying to innovate your business, it starts with those people internally. It starts by listening to the people externally and responding, not reacting. Reacting is like immature. It's in nuance. It's tyranny. It does not have the nuance that a mature human being has. Business, people, our society are de is demanding maturity, not old people. I don't care how old you are. That's ages and it don't work. That's what, that's what we're trying to get to. It's maturity to see nuance, to know that the spectrum of humanity is diverse and there's seven and a half billion options of people or of person. That's it. So tell people about the agency that you're building right now. That was where I was going, by the way. I wasn't trying to cut oh, off. Of course, I know. And I'm glad, and I'm glad that you stopped me. You reeled it back in. You rewound. You yeah, did no, that. I just want to make but sure. I, but I, I want to make sure that uh, I give you a chance to talk about this agency that you're building. You know, every entrepreneur that's building something is trying to start something new, something different. And uh, you know, I think you've got uh, got a pretty strong concept there. A lot of it will be familiar to people, like how you're structuring it and how you're building it. But I think mm -hmm. kind of the position you're coming from is a little different. So uh, before we sign off, why don't you tell people a little bit about you know what's this agency you're building? Who's it for? 
what's it like? What's it like to work with you? What do you work on? What's the process? Man, do the whole thing. Oh, man. Uh, so fundamentally, we're, uh, we're, we're an agency that uh, focuses on business design and brand development. The name of our group is called A Serious Company, all one word, A Serious, A-S-E-R-I-O-U-S, as in us, A Serious Company. Company is synonymous with brand. It's the way these things go. Um, we ask fundamental questions, like even when starting uh, last year, why do we use websites? Why do we still do it this way? Because we're focused on brand and we're trying to connect with people. And if we notice that there's a flooded space and there's not a flooded space, why aren't we going to that not flooded space where it's nice and dry? Um, we ask questions about social media. We ask questions about digital content development, such as video, photography. We ask those questions internally, and it actually happens to be ASK, happens to be our acronym, ASC, a serious company, ASK. So we like to ask those questions. One of the things you'll notice about us in particular is that we love conversation. The entirety of what we argue about today is built on conversations. So we have a very conversational process. We have a little bit of a longer, we have a little bit of a longer onboarding or agreement process because we want to, we want to arrive at an agreement and we want to allow, um, we want to allow our agreements to not forcibly, like we're not trying to push them. We're trying to allow them to emerge that way. We have clear, we're very clear about what happens and what happens next. Yeah. I mean, just from our conversations about it, it sounds like there's, um, what you're trying to do is is a very in-depth and intense process to really answer some fundamental questions about who the business is and why they exist. Mm -hmm. And you can't really get to that in your 15-minute phone call, follow-up meeting, sign agreement. You have to be really prepared for what that is. I think you guys need like a full on, we talked about this, but like I think you guys need a full kind of like onboarding like mini course where it's like, if you want to work with us, you have to go through the mini course and earn the certification. Uh, there's no, there's, it's, that's what, that's what it sounds like. Right. But really what it is is a conversation over tea. Yeah. Instead of 15 minutes to a close. Yeah. It's giving a shit about people fundamentally and first, right. The CEO that's here right now, that's trying to keep his four houses, his wife, his mistress, his eight kids, right. That's trying to do all that stuff. He's got reasons, right. Let's understand what's going on there. Just understand why he gives a shit about homelessness in the Northeast. Just understand why he cares about these things. What kind of world did he, what kind of world does, what kind of world does she want to see? When she's, when she's like working on building this business or building this creative agency or building this tea company, what kind of world does she want? Right? Because everybody's building a business because there's a version of the world that they want to exist that doesn't currently whether or not it means the product of the business and the form of profits that they used to then spend, or whether or not that means the nation that they build within that organization and the kind of community that they want. And we like to have those in-depth conversations because we want to get to, we want to help businesses get to the process of making money. And we want to do that by not, by not having them violate their core principles. And it seems as though, it appears like that we're in a space in 2019 where in the in order to do business, you may not have to violate your principles. What? That's crazy. That's bananas. 
there's always a D, there's always a CD underbelly of business. I think Our what CD it is, is it's the cost savings that are afforded to us by Amazon Web Services. It just allows us so much more flexibility to, uh, you know, grow and scale our, that's called a callback, what I just did there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. I'm hip. I'm hip. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling. Cool. <laughs> I, I enjoy uh, working with working with business owners, business leaders, helping founders understand that either they're ready to go into the executive position or they need to hire an executive to take over that conversation. And that's okay. There's, that's going to be our next podcast episodes. We're going to talk about uh, how to know as an executive that's building, as an entrepreneur that's building a company, if you're supposed to be the one that takes it to the next level. I think that's, that's going to be a good, Hey, it, I mean, Stephen Pressfield put it in the title of a book, do the work. If you're willing to do the work, you got that from that's so that's not where I got it from. However, in doing my research, cause read, read research review in doing my research, I found out that he wrote a book called do the work that embodies much of the principles that were in that were left out in the war of art, which talks about the resistance. So I got do the work from my, through my uh, process of learning how to strength conditioning, strength, becoming a strength conditioning coach and my coach, like literally sitting there at the end of every single set being like, do the work. I'm just like, oh, I hate this. And then at the end of it, I'd be like, man, okay, so what happens at the end of this? He's like, work is the reward. You're just able to do, like at the end of this, everyone's like, man, what happens at the end of this brand development process? We continue. That's all you're doing is you're fighting for another day in the ring. Damn. That sounds like um, kind of like a, 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 jo- a punchline to like a Russian joke. You know, like, <laughs> reward is the work. You know what I mean? Something like that. All right, man. Well, this has been a blast and a half. I'm gonna have you on again. We're gonna do more of these things because, um, you know, they're fun and such. And um, hey, man, you you ring me up. We can have a conversation. I'm all about it. Yeah, man. I think it's fun. We explore fun topics. Um, this episode is fun. I think people would like it. I think they'll they'll think that it's uh it's worthy of sharing, which I guess would make it shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay. If you enjoy shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing, shareable.fm, where this podcast is hosted. Do you have a podcast or know someone that has a podcast that you think is particularly, I don't know, shareable? Well, send them to shareable.fm to apply to be on the network. Shows that are selected not only get added to the site and in some cases to the Shareable FM radio podcast, but we also bring together the best tips, tricks, and tactics for promoting your show and growing listenership. And for our headliner and feature shows, we provide fully outsourced social advertising support. So leave the uh, promotion to us, okay? So give it a look. And if you want to find some new and interesting shows, or if you just want additional exposure for your own show or know someone who would benefit, please let them know about it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shareable. I sincerely appreciate it. And this show would mean absolutely nothing without you, the listener. So thank you. And I hope to see you back for the next one. Goodbye for now.